Welcome to Parkview. We're really glad you're here. Let me just first say, even as a St. Louis Cardinal fan and as a White Sox fan, congratulations to you Cub fans. You're still going. Okay, I, I want to be a big person. I, I just want to be, I want to say that, okay? I, wanna, I mean, I know it's, you know, only August and we know how it goes, but uh, good, you know, I'm, root, I'm, root, I'm rooting for you. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not rooting for the Bears. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say this right up front. Don't invite me to any games. I work on Sunday anyway. But I came up with a list of reasons why I am not going to go to any Bears games this year. Okay? First one is, every time I go, they ask me for money. Um, then it's uh, the people I sit by aren't very friendly. Right? Sometimes that happens. The seats are uncomfortable and someone is always crawling over me. Is that happening to you right now? The coach doesn't listen to me when I make suggestions, right? Some games went into overtime and I got home late. It's ridiculous. The games are scheduled on weekends. Why do they do that? I mean, I have other things to do on the weekend. And besides that, my parents forced me to go to games when I was younger. And, and, and I, just, I just don't think that's right. I'm not going to take my children to games because I want them to choose what team they root for when they grow up all on their own. And, and the biggest reason was sometimes I sat by hypocrites when I went to Bears games. <laughs> Packers fans, I, 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 you may have noticed that was a little tongue-in-cheek on the reasons people give me why they don't want to go to church, right? It's, it's ironic that you could be so excited about a sports team or, or something else. I mean, if you go to a Bears game, it, you know, it could be sleeting, snowing, it doesn't matter. Those people, are, they're still there. They could be at home watching, having a much better view on their TV, but they're there because they're fans. Cub fans will buy season tickets 100 years in a row <laughs> without any reason, right? Sox fans... If, the, if our team's in the World Series, we don't even go to the game. I mean, it, you, you know, I mean, it's really, really weird. You, it, but, but it's not just sports. People are into a lot of things. They're into hobbies. They have their clubs. They're into fitness. Here's the newest thing, and I know you may not even understand it, and I certainly don't. The newest fad that people are into is called LARPing. Have you heard of LARPing? It's live action role play. Okay, you literally dress up as a character and kind of play Dungeons and Dragons or some kind of a game. And, and, and I'm sorry if there are any LARPers out there, but, but wow, I don't know how you could get into going out into the woods, wearing, you know, your little medieval costume, having a, a you know, a cardboard sword. I mean, it looks like a bunch of grown-ups acting like kids, okay? Oh, you got me with your cardboard sword. I'm going to die. But then again, isn't that what a fan of anything is? Kind of a grown-up acting like a kid, right? <laughs> Each of us has something, or at least at one time had something inside of us that stirs our soul. Each of us has something that we're very passionate about, that we're so passionate about that we would get there early, that we would stay out late, that we would pay too much money, that we would sit in a lousy seat to be a part of it. And how many people... Does that describe their experience with God? I mean, what, what, what kind of a world would be more excited to be in the presence of Derrick Rose or Taylor Swift or a bunch of grown-ups in plastic medieval costumes than in the creator of the universe? 
I get it. I get it. If God was physically here and we could see him, everybody would want to come, and I get that. And if the only God that you ever got growing up was some boring guy trying to tell you about God or some angry guy yelling at you about God or some guy walking down the aisle waving smoke at you about God, then I can understand why your experience with worship might be tainted just a little bit, okay? I I get that. But, but don't miss the beauty of what worship ought to be. Some of you are becoming soccer parents for the first time this year. As an expert in the field, let me explain to you, if you've got little ones and you're just starting into soccer parent land, okay, here's how it's going to go. First game, the ref's going to put the ball down, and all the kids are going to run over to it. Okay? And some little kid's going to kick the ball, and all the little kids are going to run over to it there. Okay? And then some kid's going to kick the ball, and they're all going to run over to it. It'll be cute for about two minutes, and then you'll be on your phone checking Facebook. I promise you. Oh, yeah, way to go, Johnny. I mean, because it is not soccer, okay? It's not even a, a, a form of soccer. It's just little kids running around chasing a ball. Soccer can be good. Soccer can be interesting, but that's not going to be. So I get it, okay? God could be awesome. Church could be awesome. And it might be, it might not be. That's irrelevant, okay? I'm going to do, do a series in September called Rumor Has It, because as a large church, people talk about us, and you may have heard some rumors, and, and it's kind of in church in general. Rumor has it, I'm going to talk about the church is just a, a big show. I'm going to talk about how the church is too big, and the church is always wants my money. Those are the three rumors I'm going to address in this series. But the one about the big show will be the one that will talk a little bit about why we do the things that we do here to try to help you to worship. But regardless of whether you're part of our church or whether you even like the experience of what you do, it doesn't matter because the first commandment, number one commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus said that's the first and greatest commandment. Okay, so we call this worship. It's it's called worship. Okay, and it literally means worthship. Okay, it, it's about giving worth to something. See my little magic screen here, right? Worship is worthship. I'm going to give worth to something. That's how it's going to go. And, and anytime I give worth over to anything higher than God, then we're going to have a problem. In Exodus 20, God gives us the Ten Commandments. And he said, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, all those things. But the first thing he told us was to not have any other gods before him. I need to be number one. It's not not a conceited thing for God. It's a thing that he says, what I said two weeks ago, if you get the first button buttoned right, all the rest of the buttons all go together right? It's the one thing. It's seeking first the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter if it's a person that you put in place of God or a place or a thing. Anything that is higher than God is not going to work. pastor told the story of teaching Moses in the and the burning bush experience at a class one time. And it, there's a, it's a long narrative between God and Moses, a really long discourse between God and Moses. So he said, I had a husband and wife read the different parts of Scripture. And the husband was God, and the wife was Moses, and they were reading back and forth. He said it was hilarious because at one point, it was so, they got, you know, they're reading along, and they got confused, and the wife read God's part. And the pastor said, I said, wait a minute, you're not God. And without missing a beat, the husband said, I've been trying to tell her that for 18 years. 
Anything that you put in front of God is going to be a problem. That's why it's going to mess up your life. That's why God said, I want to be number one. I need to be number one. That's important. Now, here's what you need to understand. There is a war for your worship. There's a war for your worship. This started way back before we were ever around. There's a war in heaven. Scripture says there was an angel that was more beautiful than any other angel. And the angel's name was Lucifer. And many Bible scholars believe that Lucifer's job was to be the worship leader in heaven. That Lucifer's job was, he was the one that would direct the other angels to sing praises to God. But somewhere along the way, and honestly, this, is, this happens with any of us, that try to direct attention to God. You, it, it happens. Pastors, worship leaders, whoever, that they start to turn dark, darkly inward. It, this happened to Lucifer and started thinking, I want the praise going to me instead of God. Why does God get it all? He doesn't need it all. It says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I will make myself like the most high. All right, look, look at this, okay? Here's what I'm saying. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, right? I will do this, this is about me. All of a sudden, it becomes about me instead of God, and that's when everything starts to get messed up. God cast Lucifer out of heaven. A third of the angels had tried the rebellion with him, and he kicked them out, and, and that is the being of, of darkness that we call Satan today. And Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden allowed Satan in to where we live now because they took Satan's advice over God's command, and here we are. And the problem is that Lucifer, that Satan hasn't changed his agenda. Even though he's been kicked out of heaven, he still wants to sit enthroned above the assembly. So the, the, the deal here is that you have a choice between worshiping God or worshiping Satan. And I know you're like, whoa, whoa wait a minute. I, you know, I'm not a, I've never been a Satan worshiper. I, I mean, that's not going to happen. I know it's not. In other countries, sometimes Satan is pretty good at getting people. If you go to Haiti, there's a lot of uh, dark voodoo. There's a lot of dark satanic stuff in some other countries. In the U.S., there are some people who worship Satan. But for the most part, Satan realizes that all he has to do is to get us to worship anything other than God, and he still wins. Back to baseball, Cubs don't have to win. If the Pirates lose, they still get a wild card spot, right? That's how it works, and I'm not equating the Cubs with Satan. I'm just saying that (laughs) that's how it works, and that's what Satan has done. So there are some expectations that you should get from worship. Uh, you know, when, when worship happens, there are some things that you should expect. And I'm going to take you back to an Old Testament passage of Scripture where Isaiah, the prophet, wrote about a, an early time when he got to worship God. He got to be in the presence of God. And I want to show you some things from that. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. I mean, just try to imagine this. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, angels. They had six wings. With two they covered their faces in respect for God. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was full of smoke. 
Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphs, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken in tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Let me unpack what should happen in in worship, all right? The first thing that should happen is there should be a sense of God's presence. When we gather together, when, when Isaiah got to be in the presence of God, it was incredible. He said, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. His robe filled the temple. Everything was unbelievable, okay? When you understand who God is, everything should be like that. And I am not saying that God sits enthroned in a building. You can worship God anywhere. As a matter of fact, for me and a lot of you, I can worship God outside better than I can worship God inside. But when I am struck with the presence of God, it, 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 gives, me a, it gives me a sense that his presence is there, and that definitely happens corporately. All right? The second thing is I have a conviction of sinfulness. When we gather to worship, we should realize that, as Isaiah said, woe is me, I cried, I am ruined, I am a man of unclean lips. When you get around God, the more you're around God, the more you realize you are not very good. And the Apostle Paul is probably the greatest Christian outside, obviously, of Jesus that ever lived. He wrote most of the New Testament. He said, I am the chief of sinners. The closer you get to God, the more you realize you're not like God. Pastor Adam, who is our student worship pastor, was sharing with the, with the students who were leading worship here this weekend, and he said, the presence of God for me reminds me of a friend. I used to go hang out at his house, and his family had cats. They had a lot of cats. And when I would go, I would notice that there was a smell, but I would go, and we would go down in his basement, we'd play video games or whatever, and the smell, I'd, I'd, I'd quit smelling the smell. I didn't know it anymore. Do you guys know this? If you have cats, your house stinks, okay? Can I just, can I just, I mean, it, it's true, you know? And, and you don't notice it because you live there, you walk in, and you're like, oh, fluffy, but we're like, oh, no, that's not, there's not enough kitty litter, okay? I, I don't care. And he said, I would get used to it, and then I would go back out in the fresh air, and I would, be, I would be like, oh, this is what it's supposed to smell like outside. Yeah, that, that's what happens when we come into the presence of God. Every week, I, you know, I, I, get, I, I, I get all cat smelly, you know? That's what I do. I get all cat smelly in my life, and then I come to worship, and I go, oh, wait a minute. I'm in the presence of God. I, I, he is holy. I'm not. And, and it's a reminder of that. But the third thing that Isaiah found was a joyful reminder of God's grace. As we gather for worship, we also receive the cleansing from that. He said, the angel came and touched the coal to his lips, which was a, a symbol of what goes on in, in this grace transaction that we have with God. And of course, we don't do that. God, Jesus didn't leave us with that symbol. He left us with another symbol we'll talk about, the communion time that we do every week here. Because as we get close to God, as we worship God and, he, and we're in his presence, then we have this time where we, we understand that I smell like a cat. And then we come together and we realize, but I don't smell bad to God because of his grace. That's amazing. That's how we do it. The fourth thing that he said was, Then I was inspired to serve. 
When we gather for worship, we should be inspired to serve. He he said, I I heard the voice of the Lord saying, hey, I need some help here. Let's get going. And I said, here am I. Send me. Well, guess what? It's that time of the year here where we're doing um, just try it around here. And I would encourage you to take this out of your bulletin and look at it right now. Because if you are in the presence of God and you realize that he saved you, you should be the first one to stick your hand up and say, hey, I'll try with kids ministry. I'll try it with guest services. I'll jump in with creative arts. I will do these things. I would love to help because I understand this. And this is the time of the year. Listen, you guys, we got a lot of cool stuff that's going to happen this fall. I mean, we are working on campuses. We are working on all kinds of stuff. We are filling back up after the summer. Obviously, we need some help. We need you to do this. Here am I. Send me. You know, on on churches, a lot of times in the old days, they would have a sign that said, enter to worship, depart to serve. That's what happens when you're in the presence of God. Now, the purpose of worship is not for you. I need you to understand that. There are two parts to any kind of a performance. There is the audience and there is the performer, right? The problem is a lot of you think that we are the performers and you are the audience. And that's not true. We are trying to help you to be the performers because the audience is just God. That There's only an audience of one. Let me explain it like this. Did any of you go to the Blackhawks celebration for winning the Stanley Cup? You go to the parade and the, you know, and the whole celebration down there. If I asked you if you did that, and I, if I asked you, was it good, I bet you would all say, yeah, it was really awesome. But not because the performance was great, right? They didn't play hockey at all. And the speeches weren't great because hockey players can't talk, <laughs> eh? Right? It was a success because everybody understood why they were there. The purpose was not to please the fans. The purpose was to honor the team. And people walked away saying, that was awesome. I hope the team understands how much we appreciate them. Well, the team is God. That's why we gather together. The Bible says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And there are many expressions of worship that we use to show God how we do this together. I mean, there are many expressions of how we do worship together, but let me, let me break it down for you as best I can. First of all, music is a part of worshiping together. Let the whole world bless our God and sing aloud his praises. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But God says in the Old Testament, that we should do this. In the New Testament, it says we should sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Revelation, we are going to be singing around the throne, okay? And if I had to think about it, here's what I would say. I would say that music and love go together, right? I mean, when I go on a date with my wife, I put music on the radio. I don't put talk radio on. On the night I proposed to my wife, I had a complete mixtape all put together, No, it wasn't an 8-track, smarty pants. It was a cassette. I had a cassette tape with all the perfect songs that I wanted to have for a perfect moment. A little journey faithfully, right? A little sticks, babe, I love you. The cheesiest stick song ever. 
but my wife liked it, right? So, see, some of you guys still haven't figured out, Buffalo Wild Wings is not a good date night. Can I just get an amen, ladies? I mean, B-dubs is great, but not for a date night, okay? Sports and love do not go together. Music and love go together. That, sing to the Lord, the Bible says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our, guard, to our God with the harp. I know you're like, uh-oh, we're going back to a harp. Well, you need to understand the Hebrew for harp is the word fender. Literally means electric guitar. Okay. I understand Hebrew, you don't, okay? It's just that simple. And I know what some of you are saying. Are you saying, you're saying, P.T., do you want us to sing? You don't understand. I can't sing. Oh, no, I understand. <laughs> I can hear you all the way up here. Why do you think we play the music so loud? When you read the Psalms, it's a directive not just to sing, it's to sing together. He says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us give a joyous shout to the rock of our salvation. Even if you can't sing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you could carry a tune. It's about worshiping God together. And you know you sing. You sing at a baseball game when they start to play, take me out to the ball game, right? I mean, everybody, the whole crowd does. It doesn't matter if you can sing or not, you still sing. I realize they do it later in the ball game so that you can have had enough alcohol to be ready to sing, and we can't do that here. That's not the way that it's going to work, but you know you sing. You sing if you go to a karaoke bar and people are singing. I mean, you know you do. I don't know if you know this. This is a little helpful advice for you about karaoke. I, uh, I went on a cruise with my parents for their 50th wedding anniversary. Uh, they took my sister and her husband and my wife and I along to Alaska. It's awesome, a bucket list cruise if you ever get a chance to do it. But at night, it's kind of boring, and uh, there were mostly old people there. So we started doing karaoke night at, you know, at the bar on, on, the, on the cruise. And, and I'm not bragging. I just, I just have to tell you this. I won the whole cruise ship contest for karaoke, okay? True story, true story. I'm, I'm not a good singer. My, my, my competition was an old guy singing Frank Sinatra and some drunk Texas girls singing low places, so really wasn't that hard. But the key to karaoke, ladies and gentlemen, in case you want to know this, is to pick the right song, right? You're going to go to a karaoke bar. You, you've got to sing the right song. The reason I won is because I got up and I said, it's my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And then I sang, your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll. <laughs> and the place loved it, right? You've got to pick the right song. If you're going to a karaoke bar tonight, oh, no, honey, I'm good. I could have another, but I probably should. I mean, that, that is a singable song. You want a singable song. And, and, and if you're in an older crowd, if you're in an older crowd, this is a slam dunk, the slam dunk karaoke song of all time. Hit it. Am I right or am I right? Right? Touching hands. Reaching, reaching out. Touching, touching me. tell me you don't sing. Bump, bump, bump's not even in the song. Neil Diamond never did that. Don't tell me you don't sing. 
Listen, I, there, I know that a bunch of you show up intentionally late, you know, because you're just, you just don't want the music, you know, and I know some of you have hearing problems and it's loud, I get that, but can I just say this? This is not my warm-up band, okay? That, that's not what this is all about. This is about us worshiping together. Can you worship God outside of church? Absolutely, but don't underestimate the power of coming together in worship. It's very, very important. Second thing is prayer. Prayer is a part of worship, and, and, and you understand this. It took me a while, but I figured out that communication is the key to my marriage. Communication is the key to a relationship, and, and communication is the key to God, and the same is true with God. And again, you should do this every day. We should do this every day. We should have communication with God, but the community aspect of worship is really, really interesting. Jesus said, for where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. He doesn't mean like if you're by yourself, God's not going to listen to your prayers. He means that there's something, there's something really important about corporately coming together and, and worshiping together and praying together and doing that all together. There's a special relationship. There's a special relationship with all of it. The writer of Hebrews said, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We have music, and we have prayer, we, we gather together. Then there's communion. Communion is a part of worshiping together. It's a part of what helps us to understand that we are freed from the power of sin. It's the symbol for the coal touching our lips for us is communion. And we do it every week around here, and we do it corporately. I mean, I don't think there would be anything wrong with you doing it by yourself. But Paul, when he's instructing the first Corinthian church, he, he, he says, listen, when you come together, I want you to do this. When you come together. It said, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. It was something that we do together. So what should your attitude be here in a moment when we do communion? Should you feel guilty? You know, because, you know, of what... I've done in my life because I'm unclean, because I'm, I'm not good enough to be next to God? No, because your sins have already been paid for by Jesus Christ on his, on the death, uh, by his death on the cross. You're, you've already been paid for. Well, when I take communion, should I feel grief then because Jesus died on the cross? No, because he didn't stay there. He came back to life. Your attitude at communion at the end of our service ought to be one of gratitude. Not guilt, not grief, but gratitude because of what God has done. Because woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, but the angel said, no, you're not. Your sin has been taken away. And the beautiful thing about communion, again, that we do every week here, is that even if you've not done it in a long time, or even if you've never done it before, we welcome you to have this sacrament, to have this act of you and God. It's just for believers. Even if today is the day that you say, Jesus, I accept what you did for me on the cross. I need forgiveness. I need for you to take the coal and touch my lips and absolve my guilt. I need that. And all of these aspects work together to help us to go back to the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, the first commandment. And, and you may be wondering, well, what, are you going to use a diving board? Because, you know, Gene Apple had this diving board out. We're calling it Risk It. Here's, here's, where I, here's what I want you to understand about risking it. When you worship God 
you are literally going to be risking it. I mean, not like if you were in another country where there's literal persecution, but you're literally risking your life when you say, I'm going to turn it over to you, God. And there are some aspects to this that are really, really important. One interesting thing that we notice as, a, as church leaders, you know that the average amount of time per month that the average Christian goes to church, goes to worship, is 1.6 a month. One in, basically, one and a half times a month is the average for people going to church. That's down about half of what it was when I started ministry 32 years ago. And, and I'm not being legalistic about it. I mean, sometimes I don't go to church when I'm not here. I, I mean, there, there are reasons why other things happen, but you need it. You need to be here, and we need you here. And, and one of the things I would encourage you as you think about this coming season is to think about risking it and showing up. Not just saying, oh, I think I'm going to sleep in today. Or not just saying, oh, well, I don't think I'm going to go. But, but realizing the importance of corporate worship and what it means together. Your kids need it. A lot of your kids make you come, don't they? I, I love that. I was talking to some people before the last service. I mean, they're like, yeah, we can, we're, not, you know, we're not sleeping in because our kids love it. This is a part of their life. I mean, it's so awesome to have our kids leading worship right now. It's so awesome to know that, that we have these things going on. And, and I believe that worshiping God is risky. Okay, So when I say risk it, I, I'm saying make it a priority. But for some of you, it's way, way deeper than that. Because it's the number one commandment, and when you button the first button that way, when you decide to seek first the kingdom of God, it's going to change some things in your life. The number one commandment is to love God. The number two commandment is to love people. And when you turn everything over to God and you decide to really start worshiping God and really put him as number one, it's probably going to change a whole lot of things in your life. And God may ask you, you may say, here I am, send me. And God may ask you to do some pretty crazy things. But it's worth the risk. You might think to yourself, well, does God really care? And does he really care if we worship? Well, first of all, of course he does. The reason he created us and the reason he created us with free will is because he wanted to have a relationship with us in the first place. And yes, it matters to God. I have, again, a new perspective on that. I won't show you pictures of my grandson, but I got to spend two days with Charlie this week down in Nashville. And he's 10 months old now. Um, He's at that point, if you remember 10 months old as a parent or grandparent or whatever, 10 months is, you know, when he's starting to crawl around, he's starting to pull himself up, right? He's not walking yet. He's definitely gifted, but he's not quite at that point, right? <laughs> but, but he recognizes me now. I mean, because we can FaceTime, you know, almost every day, and, and he, he, he at least knows I'm a friendly face. He knows I'm a good guy. And, and now that he crawls, he could, at this last time I was down there, crawl over to me and start to crawl up my leg. You know, don't be wearing shorts for that. It's not, not good. Crawl, like stand up on my leg and, and steady himself with one hand and put his other hand up to say, pick me up, daddy. Pick me up, grandpa. Pick me up, mommy. Pick me up, nana. Pick me up, whoever you are. I know you're a good person in my life. I know that you're somebody that I can trust, so pick me up. Some of you may wonder why some of us put our hands up in the air. That's kind of what we're doing. We're just saying, hey, lift us up, Lord. Well, why does Charlie crawl over and look at me and smile? 
because he sees me as someone who loves him. He sees me as someone who will give him the things that he needs and the things that he wants, you know, (laughs) way more than I should. And I will be able to provide Charlie with a lot more than he could get himself. So why wouldn't he crawl over, put his hands up, and let me lift him up? And why wouldn't you? 